Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we continue our research series by diving into what we found about the power of parents and leadership in our 2017 research on millennials and the LCMS with Dr. Dave Reeder. We are digging into this series on research done by our department, LCMS Youth Ministry, uh, especially focusing on our recent research on millennials and the LCMS. And we hope the findings will help your youth ministry with its current generation of Gen Z uh, as you care for them. Uh, So just as a reminder, in 2017, LCMS Youth Ministry partnered with LCMS Research to conduct a survey about uh, young adult retention in the LCMS and the larger Christian church. We did a three-part study uh, that looked uh, to learn about millennials that were now young adults and helping to think about how that might apply to our youth ministry today. So today we are going to talk about what we found on the impact of parents and also leadership and that uh, impact on retention and young adults in their life in the church. When we were designing the surveys and focus groups, we wanted to know how different people played an impact on the faith lives of young people. So we asked several questions about parents because we knew other data and scripture pointed to parents as the primary faith mentor for children. And we also wanted to know what parental behavior played a role in helping young people deeply understand their baptismal faith and develop a resilient identity in Christ. We also asked about the role of other leaders in the church, including pastors and lay leaders, other people who might have had an impact on their faith. In fact, one of our questions was just an open-ended question about who had played an important role in that young person's faith life. And we were looking for ways that leadership uh, impacted both an individual young person and the environment in the congregation where they grew up. Uh, The ways a congregation are led and who they give opportunities to lead to uh, does play a role in the experience a young person has in the church. And so we are excited to have a member of our research team, Dr. Dave Reeder, join us today. Dave Reeder is a DCE serving at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Livermore, California. He has served previously at the Pacific Southwest District of the LCMS and at Concordia University, Irvine. He has authored two books, Teaching Faith at Home and Call to Serve, published by CPH. He also served on our research team and helped co-author Relationships Count. Dave, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Can you share us a little bit? You just made a a transition uh, in in your role. Share a little bit about your vocations. We asked that kind of broadly. And then uh, kind of maybe tell a little bit about the story about how you joined our research team. All right. Well, great. Thank you, Juliana. Thank you, Mark. Uh, It's a pleasure to join you on, on this podcast today. Um, first of all, the, I'm going I'm to start with the vocations that haven't changed. Uh, I am a husband uh, to my wife, Andrea, uh, coming up on 18 years at this point, uh, and father to James, who's 12, and Wesley, who's about to turn nine. Uh, and so the, those vocations in and of themselves keep me hopping, keep me moving. Uh, and then, yes, as you've mentioned, I've kind of I've made an adjustment uh, moving uh, from kind of the academic side of things and the district support side of things back into congregational ministry, uh, which 
it's kind of interesting. I had to kind of get pride out of congregational ministry, and and now God has pried me back out of back into it, uh, and I get to do a lot of work with uh, our school and uh, the out, kind of a lot of outreach focused ministry that we're doing in the Livermore area, uh, and. It's 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 been fun, kind of the adjustment, moving the Southern California guy, moving to Northern California, and Southern and Northern California. Well, we might as well be two different states uh, for the way we think and the way we approach things, uh, even down to silly little details like when we were, we were working through the move, just figuring out, uh, you know, the the way Northern California takes care of trash is slightly different than the way they deal with it in Southern California. Of all the weird things to, to occur, but that's a piece of it. Um, so uh, your other part of the question, Juliana, was dealing with how did I come to be a part of the research team? Uh, well, it it's the fun thing when you have uh, great conversations uh, with folks like yourself and Mark, and we talk about the things that we want to uh, kind of dig into and know a little bit more about my doctoral research focused on confirmation and how young people stay connected to the church following confirmation. And so as you guys were looking for uh, a team uh, to do this research, looking at uh, basically kind of a, a, the next window of time, looking at um you know, how young adults have stayed or perhaps haven't stayed connected to the local church. This felt like a very natural fit. And conveniently enough, uh, having been an academic, you get wonderful things like sabbaticals and they say, go do research. And that meant I was available. And rather than, hey, let's invent something that I need to do all on my own, I said, you know, let's let's have a conversation with you guys. What do you want to have? What do you want to do? And and this just looked like the great uh, kind of a thing to do. And it, was, and it was just a pleasure to be a part of it. Well, so we can think to uh, and give thanks for a lot of those conversations that we've had over the years, as well as reading the research and books that you have put together. Um, so in hearing to conversations you've had in your own family about putting your writing to good use <laughs> in terms of raising your own kids and be able to uh, connect with other parents along the way too in your different roles. So I want to talk about maybe a little bit about that research you did before the 2017 project. Um, tell us a little bit about it, um, what you found in that work, and also where we might be able to find that research um, to learn more as we kind of go through this conversation about what we found in the 2017 research. Yeah, so the the, the two major uh, bits of research that I've done prior to this, my doctoral research, uh, the easiest way to get a hold of that. Uh, is the, the, my first book from CPH, Teaching the Faith at Home. That's uh, don't if if you can dig up a copy of my dissertation, don't read them. Uh, <laughs> dissertations are not readable; they're not designed to be read. Uh, if you're a data nerd, I know Juliana, that might excite you. Um, I say I like it. You might have fun <laughs> with it. The average person, yeah, skip skip to the CPH published book. I, I do recommend it. Um, you know, easy Who plug needs for narrative that. when yeah. you've got just really good data. Uh, yeah, I, mean, honestly. I, I just teed that one up for you. That's easy enough. But um, really what I was trying to do was to identify, and, and it, it, here's the fun part of it is, is I was going into the study with the thought, you know, uh, I, I loved teaching confirmation. Uh, I'm one of those weird guys where junior high kids, they don't scare me. Uh, I love them. I, I love the quirky, weird questions that they ask. 
the more left field, the better. Um, and but but over time, you you if you do that long enough, and you see the way in which kids come into confirmation, some of them come out of the woodwork when it's time for confirmation. I remember one year where we had more cousins of each other just sort of appearing out of nowhere. I'm like, where are you all coming from? And the hard part is, is you do this long enough, you, you kind of get in your head the, the tracking where you can kind of generally pick which kids are likely to stick with participation in the life of the church following confirmation based on what's been going on in their life prior. And I kind of wanted to test some of that out. And I, what I was initially looking for was, is there a teaching method that helps connect kids to the life of the congregation better. And from a statistical standpoint, I couldn't find that there, that's the case, that how you teach necessarily doesn't, from a statistical standpoint, have uh, an impact. But what has an impact is the depth of relationship that the family has prior to confirmation. That statistically came out as not not a little bit of an effect, but an effect size that was kind of almost off the charts. Uh, and so that made me a huge fan of what gets done in children's ministry and family ministry. Uh, and that's kind of became a focal point around which uh, then I wrote the book. Uh, the second bit of research that I did that ended up being, it doesn't really connect to what we're doing here, but it looks at uh, the relationship of commission workers to the Office of Public Ministry, and that's my called the Serve book, and I'm just going to leave that there as that's another little tidbit of research that I've done um, leading into the time that we got to do ours. That could be another podcast. But, that's a whole other. Uh, I would I do want I would do want to go back. Like we really appreciated your input on that, and and in some people that might seem like common sense. And we've tested that. I mean, when you kind of walked us through that a little bit about what you found in your research and talked to churches to say, you know don't expect confirmation to be a silver bullet for retaining young people, but yet look at those relationships you're having with them on the front end because it's going to be probably pretty tied to what the relationship is after confirmation. And by and large, churches, just that's a light bulb sometimes to them that they're like, oh yeah, you're absolutely right. Like we can see that trend in our confirmation process. So um, I think some people might seem like that's a common or a a no brainer, but really it's something to think about for churches and to really give some focus to children's ministry. It's been helpful for us to have that conversation with congregations. And we wanted to emphasize kind of what you did and build on that research that you did with, uh, especially with the young adult survey that we did on, we asked some pretty extensive questions about um, the role of their family and their faith life and um, could look at the outcomes where they are now, where they grew up, um, and then what impact did their parents have on that. Um, and so maybe you can walk us through a little bit about what we saw in the research, uh, our research, the millennials and the LCMS, about how parents model uh, and what they modeled impacted a young person. Yeah, Juliana, I think the key part is, the, is that you're using the phrase model there. And it's what is it that the young person sees mom and dad do in the faith practices uh, in their life? So one of those factors, uh, take a simple one, read the Bible. You know, mom and dad could have a great habit of Bible reading, but the question is, do their kids growing up see that? You can't learn from something that you don't see. Uh, Another factor of this is uh, attending worship. 
you know, and and in doing that as a family together all the way through high school, you know, uh, it's one thing to say, and and this is, I I get why churches do this, uh, and it's a struggle because you know we want to make sure that uh, parents and adults have an optimal ability to worship and to learn from a sermon, and honestly. Um, my boys, as they've been growing up, uh, they don't make listening to a sermon easy. It's not the simplest thing to do. Uh, my youngest is a highly active young man. Uh, sitting still does not come natural to him. Uh, he learns great. I have to. I have to remember that while he's in motion, he is paying attention. But it's just how he functions, uh, and so that can be distracting. The temptation is to say, okay, well, I, I, I want to focus over here, so you go to Sunday school and I'll go to worship. But here's the thing. This showed up in my prior research, and this, this shows up in ours, is if, if the child doesn't see mom and dad worshiping, how are they learning the practices? How do they know what it means to worship if they've never seen it done? Uh, this was, in fact, something that my prior congregation, we were wrestling with this question, trying to figure out, because we had four different church, uh, service hours and two different Sunday schools hours going, but most kids didn't enter into worship until it was time for confirmation. And then I hand them a sheet and say, here, uh, do a sermon summary They'd, they'd never consistently listened to a sermon. They didn't know how to learn from it. So even on a very practical level, the skill set wasn't honed. There wasn't this mentoring where you sit next to your child, wiggly or not, and you help identify for them what's going on within the service, which I know can be nerve-wracking because as a parent, some of the time you look at it and say, I don't even know what precisely, why are we standing at this time? Why are we sitting at this time? You know, the kids will make observations and point things out, and you think, I don't even know how to answer this. But entering into that conversation is critical. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, we, you know, as we talk about modeling, uh, the questions we asked about parents, we said kind of parent slash guardians. And, and truly, like, it might, you might not have two parents that are modeling that. You might yep. have a grandparent modeling that, and aunt, or an uncle, or a godparent, or... It could be uh, any number of adults, but but that adult who's willing to to teach you how to <laughs> go to worship, how to um, you know how to sit, when to sit, stand, <laughs> how to listen, that that kind of modeling, or and another scriptural practice is reading uh, the Bible and and prayer, um, that that kind of thing. So uh, when we talk about parents here, we're not just exclusively talking about um, two parent households that have you know. Uh, there's, they have an even ratio in that pew and they're keeping kids contained <laughs> could look like a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and this is where our research, uh, and, you know, this is, is consistent with say the uh, sticky faith and growing young research that Fuller has done where they look at and talk about the, uh, the influence of other key adult figures uh, in the life of a young person where those additional people 
uh, have a similar impact, uh, you know, and, and Julian, I think you're, you're good in pointing out the grandparent factor. Uh, you know, there've been a number of young people in ministries that I've been a part of where it's the grandparents, they're the primary spiritual leaders, and they're the ones that are seeing this thing through. Uh, and there's a strength to that. I also appreciated that, you know, as we talked about worship, right, we asked uh, if your parents or your guardians are worshiping today, right, that that did the value of of them being in, in that Christian community and being in worship continue beyond when that young person was still in the home uh, and that that had a positive impact, that it wasn't just like go to church because my kids are need to be in church, but I'm going to church because it's something I value as a part of my faith life. Um, that was really interesting as well. Well, and, and the natural follow through on that is, are they, they're worshiping regularly now, and did they take some form of leadership within the church? Did they not just show up, I'm going to keep a pew warm for a, a time every Sunday, uh, but were there even small ways, you know, they're on altar guild, or, you know, they usher, or they're an elder, or, you know, I mean, any piece of things where they take a lead role and say, I- I'm gonna, I'm gonna give some of my time to this place because it's val, it's a value to me and my family and and me personally. And kids get a hold of that. I mean, I remember talking to a family; both parents had some leadership roles, and uh, they walked in on their their girls with all of their stuffed animals in a circle. Uh, they were playing church meeting. Um, that's and they were they were <laughs> sitting there talking. Um, they knew enough to know that that was something that, that their parents thought were important. Mark, were you jumping in there? Well, I'd say um, kind of similar thing. I mean, that, that I think that shows that investment and that care that the parents have for the church. And so therefore that becomes that foundation of their, their life together as a family. But then also as young people look to the future too, the importance of, of having that relationship with their, their home church. I mean, one thing I think too, Dave, we wanted you to probably talk about a little bit is then to talk about the environment of at home maybe too. I mean, you've written the book on it. So you know, <laughs> you've know, done additional research on this too. But even what did our research find about things going on kind of week by week, what's taking place in um, uh, in their homes and what they're focusing on there too? Any Anything that came out of the research? Yeah. So some of the additional factors that helped, uh, I, that we saw as ways that helped uh, a young person stay connected with uh, whether it's the LCMS or with with church in general uh, was whether they had a good relationship with uh, mom and dad or mom or dad in the home, whether they felt like they could talk about life issues, things that are coming up in life. Can they have a conversation? Uh, can they talk about faith issues? If there are questions, if they have doubts, if there are concerns that they have, you know, they head off to college and all sorts of stuff come their way. Is there enough of a relationship that they can come back and say, okay, dad, this is going to make you uncomfortable, but I need to, I, I need to bring this back to you. And that, that requires an established relationship far sooner. Um, I think back to conversations that I've had with parents where, you know, they've got the 16-year-old who, who, according to them, suddenly isn't talking to them much. Um, and, and you try to peel back the, in, in the conversation to say, well, how much of a routine was it 
that you were talking about serious subjects or you were open to the questions and concerns that your kids had when they were younger. It's easier to start that when you have an eight-year-old than with a 16-year-old. The 16-year-old, if it's brand new, is going to look at you and go, why are you interested now? Is it just because I'm freaking you out more? Or what's happening? It doesn't mean that if you haven't established that habit early on that it's too late. It's just an encouragement. My encouragement, you know, any parent listening to this, uh, the sooner you can have those, those conversations, the sooner you're able to say, you know, when your kid is puzzling about things, have an open and honest conversation with them about it. You know, even if you have to say, you know, I don't really have a good answer for that, but let's work on it. Let's try and find an answer to this. Let's find who has the answer. I mean, kids these days, uh, you know, my boys, they have no patience for things because they look at me and go, Dad, you have a cell phone in your pocket. You can get the answer to anything. But what I want to encourage them with that is, yes, it's available, but let's, with some wisdom, walk ourselves through and figure out, well, what's a good answer? What's a quality answer to this? How can we dig in? You know, tracking back to the the, the idea of, of Bible reading in the home, if the if they're used to if your kids are used to seeing you open the Bible to look and seek answers and wisdom from Scripture, then maybe they know that you're the type of person that is going to be seeking those things, and and they can come along on that journey with you, and you can open the Scripture together and seek for answers, even if the answers are uncomfortable. That you can dig in and start to say, okay, well, let's wrestle with this. Let's here's how God's Word response to this let's talk about it we saw i think one of the things that with these qualities that we saw in the home were that the more helpful qualities a parent had the better retention of their children too so meaning that if they went to worship and read scripture and talked about faith and home kind of each piece had maybe a multiplying effect on yeah. the retention of young people so you've talked about kind of some of those practical things that parents can do now thinking about it from like a leadership standpoint in church or maybe um, precedent that a pastor or commission worker or, or youth ministry practitioner is making in the church. How might we equip and talk to parents about faith development then? And I know your book goes into the lab, but what are some, just some key tips that you would say as you're trying to equip parents that you would put before them? I think you begin the conversation by helping parents feel comfortable where they're at. Um, one of the things that, that I think slows the process down is an assumption that if I don't have all the answers or if I'm not competent enough um, from the beginning, that perhaps uh, it's too much of a risk to try and do this. You know, um, I'll, I'll go pick on dads in this moment. As a dad, I'm just going to be fair and say I'm going to pick on dads. Um, we have a tendency, our male ego gets in the way and we don't want to step into an area that we don't feel we have enough expertise to do it. So as church workers, as pastors, DCEs, teachers, etc., cetera, um, what we can do is to provide that backup where we're saying, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm accessible to you. Uh, I, I want to be able to help support so that you don't feel that you're on your own in doing this. Uh, the other piece of it is to be able to try to offer a roadmap. And 
there are various organizations that have uh, you know great resources that kind of offer a roadmap to understand you know what can you expect at different developmental stages um, you know the the work that's been done from a psychological standpoint from a physiological standpoint all these things factor together in the development of a young person and the church can provide a guide to say, is this normal? Um, this is even a conversation with, within my own home as, you know, our oldest has very much been preteening. Uh, my wife looks to me some of the time as kind of, you know, in-house expert and she's kind of, you know, okay, is this normal? And it's amazing how much comfort is provided to be able to say, you know, the, the, the goofy behavior or the types of questions that are getting asked. Are those normal questions? To be able to say, you know what, this is a normal question. Don't, don't panic. That in and of itself, I think, is a great comfort. Um, and just being able to kind of, I would say also, if you're able to help parents of similar aged kids to connect with one another, uh, so that they can kind of see the normal and they can kind of say, hey, this is how I responded. Oh, hey, that's a great idea. I did this. They're able to kind of pool uh, their their resources and be able to kind of think and process through because there may be some new unique uh, situation. There may be something unique to the context in, in which you're ministering, uh, which is why some of the time I hesitate to offer huge blanket statements uh, because each area, each um, particular context has its own uniqueness to it. Uh, but then I, th I think that gathering of, of, of parents together kind of helps to provide that support. I've, I'd love to see in our church, we've got a group of young parents who uh, kind of you know, entered the church about the same time and had kids roughly the same age. And it's awesome to watch their relationships that have been built up over those kind of conversations. That's what they do a lot. They talk about parenting, the, the struggles of it, the joys of it ask those questions and kind of, I think we've heard that question a lot, like, is this normal? And they kind of throw that out amongst themselves with the kids that are the same age. And this is, some got kids in the Lutheran school, some don't. And to be able to talk about the wrestling that happens has been really a beautiful thing. And it's brought those parents closer together uh, to support one another. But I think they'd say it's helped them in their parenting too. So it's a, a great opportunity when churches can build that community amongst parents and be able to learn from one another. We're going to take kind of a shift here. Right. And talk a little bit about the impact of leadership, because you looked at that as well. Um, so we we talked in the episode about the congregational survey, about how the impact uh, we saw an impact in the longevity of leadership. Right. So the longer that that leader was there, that the more uh, retention we saw, the more we saw them knowing where young people were as they moved through life uh, and the impact of young leaders. So we've sort of already unpacked that, uh, but we could see that. Uh, leaders that were there, um, if we had leaders under 32, uh, kind of the, the number we saw a, a good breaking point for, uh, we were able to retain more young people in their home congregation, retain more in the LCMS overall, um, and attract young adults. So this is all really important stuff. So we know uh, leadership is important. Uh, Dave, what do you think uh, longevity and young leaders are influential factors for churches in their retention rates? I think I think it's influential in the sense that you know if let, let's take the seeing the young leader, you know if a young person sees a young leader, they identify themselves more readily with that person. They say, "I can be." The door looks like it's open. 
You know, if, uh, you know, the 22-year-old looks at the, the upfront leadership of the church and everyone's over 60, they look at it and say, I've got a 40-year span before I have the opportunity to do anything. But if they look at it and say, you know, there's a 28-year-old elder in our congregation and he can do this, wow, this is accessible to me. Uh, they're interested in uh, having people my age uh, have a seat at the table and a legitimate seat at the table, not a token or a, or a, a marginal seat. We also know that um, those who stayed active in the church are were most likely to say that the church handled conflict well um, and that the church, ha- church had their best interests at heart. Uh, kind of in your own thought process through that seeing experience too how does church leadership help influence those factors in terms of dealing with conflict and also so a young person understands the expression that the church cares for them there has to be to my way of thinking there has to be an openness to how you approach conflict um i've i've known church leaders where you might say uh, they're allergic to conflict. In fact, actually, I, I actually asked the question once to somebody that pointedly, and I used that phrase, and it actually helped him understand himself a little a little bit. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, no, that's that's exactly it." You know, um, the church is a collection of sinners, which means we're going to sin against each other on a fairly regular basis. And as much as we'd like to say that the church is the place where we don't want that happening, yeah, that's true. But as sinners together, we're going to do that. We're going to offend each other. We're going to have disagreements with one another. But the question is, how do we deal with those disagreements? Are we going to avoid them? Or are we going to develop a willingness to be direct about them? You know, if I'm in conflict with my pastor uh, as a fellow called staff member, I need to be able to have an open conversation with him and say, hey, I heard you say this. This doesn't really sit well with me. Can we talk about this? Same kind of a thing. He needs to be able to come to me and say, Dave, I'm not sure what you're doing here. Help me understand now, notice both of those approaches, they're not accusatory, they're offering, the, you know, they're trying to come at it and say, I, I just, I want to understand, I want, I want to hear your side of things. As a church, we need to be able to bring conflict out in such a way that we address the core issues and are willing to understand that at times we're not going to agree with each other and be okay with that. Uh, we can't force ourselves into a false agreement. And I think some of the time what perhaps young people don't have much patience for, and I can appreciate this, uh, is trying to seek peace without any actual resolution to the conflict. Uh, because we, if we get uncomfortable with it, and I understand uncomfortable, um, I'm not a natural at this. You know, I can say it. Uh, I've learned how to do it. Uh, I've had to. I wouldn't have had some of the positions in my career that I've had without being willing to step in the middle of conflict. Um, But I don't enjoy it. 
you know, I, I would rather keep the peace. Uh, but the hard thing is, is I've, I've seen leaders where, um, you know, say you have a senior pastor of a congregation who, who really keeps the peace well, but never resolves anything. What happens when he leaves? Well, everything that hasn't been resolved comes to the bu- bubbles up to the surface, you know, and then the issue is forced. And whoever his successor is, is left with this mess. And they look at him and go, hey, what, what are you doing? Well, well, that person may actually be directly confronting what needs to be confronted and should have been confronted in the past. I mean, this is where, you know, I've worked with intentional interim pastors. This is where they do great work when they do their work well, is they're taking things head on. And I think young people see this. They know that the world is full of conflict. There's, there's no fooling them. You know, social media is not going to let you get away with the idea. Um, I mean, social media is obnoxious with regard to conflict. So I'm not suggesting that the church needs to act like social media, but we need to be um, open to the realities of where we disagree so that we can disagree agreeably. And I think that's the the biggest key is can we disagree agreeably uh, and confront challenging issues uh, in an honest way? I was really shocked by the number of young people who um, identified conflict that had happened in their congregation that didn't actually uh, directly apply to them, right? But that they had seen it handled poorly in the congregation and that had had a dramatic impact on their um, their relationship with the church, their interest in continuing in the church. Um, you know, many of the young people who wrote in our survey um, talked about either uh, leadership that, like you said, didn't deal with conflict. Um, that they felt very hurt by, or um, I saw this conflict happen. I saw the the leaders deal with it poorly, um, and that meant that I was not interested in being a part of a, of a church that that wasn't living out what they were preaching and teaching um, when it came to you know what God called us to do and how God calls us to, to handle conflict. Um, and so I I do think right. So the way that leaders handle that has a has an impact on young people whether they're involved in that conflict or not whether they're talking to anybody about it or not they see us they're watching the leaders of that congregation and what they see um changes their thoughts about the church and sometimes can change the way that they think about how they want to continue in the church uh, Dave, you were a good insert uh, in the book, Relationships Count, uh, about how to support good leaders and volunteers over the long haul. Uh, if you can remember, this is yep. a long time ago yep. when you wrote that. Uh, but what were some of the factors that you said go into uh, increasing the longevity of either a staff person or a volunteer uh, that we might want to think about when it comes to youth ministry? Well, I, I, I thought there were, there were three key factors to this, trust, respect, and purpose. And how, from a leadership standpoint, from a staff standpoint, from the interactions between uh, staff and the congregation or school families, how all of these interact with each other. So, you know, we're talking about the openness with regard to conflict. You know, that's not going to develop without a certain amount of trust. You know, if I don't trust... Uh, the leadership of a congregation, I'm not going to bring to them my concerns. You know, uh, some of the time congregations uh, and ministries think that because things are peaceful, because nobody's complaining, there aren't issues. 
well, they're, they're, they may have learned over time, no one's going to take action or no one is going to actually listen to me. And if I don't trust enough, I'm, I'm not going to bring my concerns. Which may be nice because, you know, how, how many of us want to hear a bunch of com- concerns and complaints, except that if there are issues and people are struggling with things and the way in which stuff is things are communicated or the way in which we behave is causing problems, if I'm not opening to open to hear that, then I'm not building that trust back and forth between myself, you know between myself and like, if I'm leading other volunteers, if they can't come to me and say, Hey, when you said this, this way, I I think this really alienated some people. Oh, well, let's talk about that. Let's, you know, if, if I'm respectfully hearing their viewpoint, they're going to come to me. I'm going to have an opportunity to share my perspective. You know, a piece of that trust then is respect. Do I respect the viewpoint of others, or am I so confident in what I believe? Or I think it's really interesting. I think the respect part of it is is weird. Where there's an element where um, either you have an overconfidence or an underconfidence, and if you swing in either direction too far, uh, you don't function out of respect for others. Because if you're so insecure it's hard to respect the opinions of others because somebody else's opinion is taken as a shot against you personally when it has nothing to do with you personally. Uh, Or if you're so overconfident that you can't hear that somebody else has great wisdom to add to the conversation. And then the last piece of that was just purpose. Can we come together having built trust and built respect and have a purpose that we're going about, that we're in line with one another? So having served in uh, ministries in the past where there's been conflict, where there's been struggle, um, I've had to be willing as a second chair leader to say, if there's a point after which uh, the vision that my senior pastor puts out is something that I can't follow, out of respect for him, I'm going to be able to identify and say, you know what, I don't think we're on the same page. Either we need to be able to talk this out, or I'm going to have to shift gears and possibly consider a call somewhere else. And that's a difficult thing to be able to be open and honest about and to, and to have that as a conversation. You know, it, it can, And it could be minor things. It could be the kind of a thing that this could you know take shape within uh, a volunteer setting where you're making the shift in how you do Sunday school and you had a Sunday school teacher who's been a part of this for years who's just not sure that she can move along with this new direction that you're doing with Sunday school. You as a group, as a leadership, you're bought into this. You've communicated. You've been open. You've been able to receive that information back. You know, Somebody may, in the midst of that, say, you know what? I'm not sure I can do that. The key to this in the longevity part of this is if you can establish purpose in such a way that all parties from senior staff level on down to volunteers are participating in the formation of this purpose, that they see their part in it, they want to be on board. They see why it's moving in a good direction. And so that ongoing conversation helps to flesh that out. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why, I mean, my first call, despite all the back and forth and conflict and so forth that happened in there, enough 
trust, respect, and purpose was developed that I spent nine years outlasting a pastor who came after I, <laughs> after he had, he was there for six years in the middle of that. Uh, and, you know, my last call, uh, both to the district, Pacific Southwest district and Concordia university was also nine, almost nine and a half years because some of the relationships were able to be able to establish. And I could go to both of my supervisors on either side and be very direct, be very blunt and say, Hey, this is what I'm seeing. I have a concern. Uh, and neither of them were unwilling to hear that. Uh, they were very encouraging to say, you know, we want to hear, we want to know, we want to be on the same page as much as possible. And I think that's what creates that longevity. Absolutely. And when, when that family of God comes together, like you're talking about that, those relationships that can be built, that trust that can be built when people rally around the purpose of serving young people. We, we saw in the research when we, Juliana mentioned this before, we kind of allowed an open-ended question about who is impactful in your faith walk um, in the church. And parents, by far more than like twice as high as anything else were number one. But boy, we saw things like my home church pastor, um, other family members, a, a pastor maybe that came into their life in another place, college ministry, or may have been my youth worker. Um, and so you got to see those relationships that made an impact in their life in Christ and in the church. And so when they're on the same page and together, it makes a huge impact on them. So that was awesome to see. Yeah, it's so important for us. And, and, and we saw this. It's why we asked the questions. It's why we looked for them to get on it. Um, because, you know, we know that there are key people in our lives that have a strong impact on us and our faith walk. And uh, we know from scripture <laughs> and other research that parents are those primary faith leaders for their children. Um, that's why we made supportive adults and engaged parents parts of seven practices of healthy youth ministry. Uh, and that, that congregations and especially youth ministries can support parents and other adults in their critical role as faith mentors um, all day, every day. We also know, too, that leaders set a tone and have an impact on the experience young people have in that church and those long-term relationships and a chance to lead where young people can be incredibly beneficial, not only to your youth ministry, but to the whole congregation's ministry. But these things don't happen automatically. They certainly, they take time, energy, effort, intentionality to support that ministry that happens. So a couple of closing questions for you to think about. First, how can you help empower parents to take one more step in supporting their faith, their child's faith life? Another question is, how can we help parents have important conversations in the home? And finally, how can uh, leaders help positively impact young people's perception and relationship with the church? Uh, we will continue to keep you in our prayers as you lead parents and uh, lead other leaders in your congregation. We know that this work can be difficult. Uh, the work of, of parents, especially right now, uh, just incredibly uh, challenging. Uh, but we know that they can have an incredibly positive impact on uh, on your youth ministry. Uh, truly, parents and congregational leaders can help young people tremendously as they deeply understand their baptismal faith and grow in vocation and resiliency. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive review. It helps other people find us. End Goals Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFU Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfu.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church.